Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday English. My name is Laura Marshallsay, owner of Marshallsay English. I'm a historian. I actually worked as a tour guide, and now I teach communication skills, business English, to professionals across the globe, especially those in the tourism, heritage, and museum industries. Last week, we discussed how to develop a tour if English isn't your first language. But understanding the language doesn't guarantee you'll have a good tour. So, what does make a good tour? Stay tuned and find out. A few weeks ago, I posted a question on LinkedIn. I asked people about language skills for tour guides and what issues they saw. Was it pronunciation? Was it grammar? Was it something else? And the answers really surprised me. It was none of the above. What people told me was that it wasn't the guide's language skills that made a tour good or bad. It was their ability to tell a story. So I'll give you just two of the responses. One person said, and I quote, Of course, grammar, pronunciation, vocabulary are all important. But I can tell from my experience so far that visitors enjoy a story more than jargon. And that is used by some guides on purpose to show how much they know. Another person answered, In my years with the cruise industry, language was never the primary problem. The problem was tour guides saying everything they knew about a subject in no particular order and with no greater meaning. So how do you overcome this? Well, instead of dumping a load of random facts on your guests, tell them a story instead. Now, to tell a great story, you don't have to be an award-winning writer. But you do have to put the information in an order that allows your guests to connect one piece of information with another. Start by laying out all the information you have about your site or your museum. How can you edit this into a story? Are there themes you could group together? Or does it make sense to describe events chronologically, that is, by time, so that people can see how things have changed over time? I'd like to give you an example from my previous workplace, Hampton National Historic Site, which is part of the U.S. National Park Service. The house was finished in 1790 and remained in the same family until the 1940s, when it became the property of the Park Service. The original owners were rich to begin with, and they made a lot of money as a result of the American Revolution. The men in the family were some of the state's largest slaveholders. Their wives were part of the newly formed Methodist Church, and they were abolitionists. They wanted to free the slaves. 
The people on the estate lived through the Civil War, the freeing of the slaves, and the technological revolution brought by electricity. As you can imagine, that is a lot of history in one small site. And a lot of it is what we call difficult history. The fact that we are talking about slavery. If I told visitors everything I knew about the estate and the family, that tour would have lasted most of the day. Instead, I had 60 minutes from start to finish. When I developed my signature tour, I decided to do it chronologically. The story I told was of the political and cultural divisions in the house, which mirrored similar divisions in the country. I was lucky that I had a house and a basic tour to start from. But what if you're starting from the very beginning? A new tour, a new exhibit, a new story. Well, I had that opportunity when I lived in the small town on the south coast of England. In 2014, the town wanted an exhibit to commemorate the outbreak of World War I. The exhibit was to be part of a larger program, which also included a choral concert. The first ideas to come out of the event committee involved discussing the nearby munitions factory and the number of men in the town who fought and died. But when we spoke to some of the older folks in town, we discovered the story of a local woman who had lost both her sister and her husband before the war, only to lose her only son in the trenches of France. After the war, she went to France to search for her son and bring his body home. We researched this story, and it was absolutely heartbreaking. We decided to tell it between songs chosen by the choral director to match the arch of the story. The anchor pieces of the physical exhibit, which was in the hall in front of the concert venue, were two photographs taken from the same location, one of the troops going off to war, accompanied by a jubilant and cheering crowd. The other when the troops came back, victorious but lifeless. In between were objects borrowed from the town and local people. The combination of the exhibit, the narrative, and the music told a much greater story than statistics or factories ever could. Put your facts into context so people understand. As you're developing your story, the one thing that you have to remember is that your visitor probably does not have the same understanding as you do of how different things are now to the past. This is why you have to put things into context. Let's look at an example from Hampton. We'll look at the dining room. Now, I'll describe it for you since you don't have a picture of it. The room is beautiful. It dates from around 1815. There's hand-painted wallpaper on the walls. 
and a very bright blue on all of the trim and on the fireplace. Now, most people will see just a pretty brightly painted room, nothing outrageous. Really, it would be easy enough to recreate this room in your house today. But did you know, in the early 19th century, blue paint was very expensive, meaning that only the wealthiest could afford such saturated color in the room. In fact, everything in this 1815 room screams money. And we all know that money is power. A clear message from the owner, Charles Carnan Ridgely, who just happened to be the governor of Maryland at the time. Now, adding these little facts don't add a lot of time to the tour, but they do put the facts into context. I've also heard great guides put things into context by equating them to something we can picture. For example, one guide described a very heavy object as being equivalent to 200 cars. Now that's something I can relate to. Another thing you need to consider is why is something important? I have something I like to call the so what principle. Why is what you're telling me important? What impact did this event have? I thought about this as I watched a really interesting television program about the Brothers Grimm. The presenter was giving a tour of their home and focused on a wall that was covered in portraits. Some of them were the people who came to the brothers to tell the stories. Others were famous people of the day who wanted to hear the stories. But what I wanted to know is why people felt it was so important to tell these stories, and why were others so interested in hearing or reading them? How did this fit into the social, political, and cultural context of the period? If you're a guide, or if you're writing an interpretive panel, you only need to add one or two sentences to give a much deeper meaning to your story. Now, one of the biggest complaints I heard was guides who used jargon. Now, I'm one of those people who loves to go to an art museum, even though I know very little about art. But I go to an art museum because I'm trying to learn, which is why I get frustrated when a guy jumps straight into the tour with terms like postmodern or neo-expressionism without explaining what those terms mean. When a guide takes a couple of minutes to give background information about a movement, the artist's place in that movement, and what to expect as the group moves through the exhibit, guests can appreciate artwork in a new way. Now, I know most guides and historians are really passionate about their subject or their site. And they want to share everything they know with everyone they speak with. All I can say to that is, please don't.
please. When you overshare, visitors become overwhelmed, and soon they won't hear anything at all. So tell a good story instead, and send your visitors home a little smarter than when they came, and with wonderful memories of your site. Thank you for joining me this week. I hope you found my suggestions helpful. If you would like more information about my services, or you would like to send me a comment, please go to my website, www.marshallsayenglish.com. I would love to hear from you. Thanks again for joining me, and I'll see you next week.